to this week's episode of the EcoScoop. I'm your host Flavia and this week we have quite a busy episode for you. To start us off, I'll be speaking to Anna Kiernan, who's a local climate activist, probably most known for her involvement with Fridays for Future Belfast. Anna is going to be speaking to us about her journey as a young activist and she will also share with us her thoughts for the future. Our very own Kayla McNally will also be speaking to Kerry Milford, the chair of East Belfast Greens, about Lucy's Law. Lucy's Law is a piece of legislation which seeks to protect animal welfare and could very well spell the end of puppy farming. Finally, we will end our show with our weekly roundup of good news with Emo Smith. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I've got Anna Kiernan, who's a young climate activism from right here in Northern Ireland. Hi, Anna. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking to us. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, Do you want to start by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about how you became involved with climate activism? What was sort of the tipping point that really turned things around to you and kind of made you think, right, I really need to do something now? Well, I'm Anna. I'm an 18-year-old climate and environmental activist from Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I had been involved in activism before um, for various other things like mental health and poverty. But um, the tipping point for me for getting into climate activism specifically was reading the IPCC's 1.5 degree special report. Yeah, definitely. I think... For a lot of people that I've spoken to recently, that certainly was a turning point in their minds um, in terms of the whole climate activism and climate crisis becoming really quite an emergency. Um, so I suppose you're sort of more popular for getting involved with Fridays for Future and starting the Belfast chapter of that global organisation. How did you hear about Fridays for Future and, and how did you kind of go about sort of starting um, your own Fridays for Future essentially right here in Belfast? Well, I had joined some of the Waikani strikes, um, which they mainly do campaigning um, for things such as a climate act or a green recovery, but they also, um, pre-lockdown, were doing monthly strikes for climate action. Um, And they were working and they they were raising awareness, um, but I felt like we needed more, you know, it was starting to become normalised. At first, politicians were shocked, like, whoa, there's these hundreds of kids, what do we do? Um, but because it was becoming like a, a monthly regular thing, it wasn't getting that same kind of value. So um, I thought I would start Fridays for Future because it's weekly striking, it's more direct pressure and it's more, it keeps it more present and more immediate and constant. Um, but no one else really wanted to do it every single week because yeah. that is quite a big commitment. So I thought if I start it myself, then people might join after. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but when you started it, you did strike every Friday for about an academic year, didn't you? Well, it still is every Friday. You're still doing it every Friday? Yeah, so it's been 80 weeks now. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And how, I mean, I suppose, I suppose what's so striking about Fridays for Futures is sort of young people like yourself taking that time out of school, which I suppose on some levels is quite unprecedented, especially for such a sustained period of time. Um, how did sort of like your parents react to that? Um, they don't really mind. Um, they're not, they're, they're not fussed. Um, so they're quite supportive then? 
yeah that's that's really good it's really good to see sort of like parents i know if i tried to do that my mom would have sent me right back to school if i'd even tried to pull that so it's quite nice to see that you've got like a really supportive environment that kind of understands why you're doing this and, and supports you in doing it um so fridays for future i mean obviously you do it in um belfast but it's obviously a global organization isn't it how how did you first sort of hear about it um well i heard about it through joining strikes by another organization um of course and obviously seeing grada um on the news um so yeah and then in after about six months of doing the weekly ones i then joined um friday's future ireland um and then got involved in the international movement through that cool because i suppose your journey since sort of initially starting um those strikes and then kind of progressing and getting more involved with those organizations has actually been quite striking what what's the highlight for you so far obviously it's quite a serious issue that you're campaigning for here but in in all this process what's what's been the highlight for you um it's hard to pinpoint just one yeah i think there are a few moments that i would highlight which would be um the september 20th 2019 strike which we got seven thousand people to the streets wow. of belfast and a climate emergency for belfast city council was declared as a result of that strike so that was incredible um and an atmosphere that is unique to any other that i don't think we'll ever experience again yeah um and another highlight would be going would be if on more of an international scale would be going to the eu parliament to do an action there which is a unique atmosphere for a whole other reason yeah. and finally doing something physical with activists that we had we all work together digitally and we all talk on zoom calls and things um but it's completely different whenever you finally meet the people you've been organizing with for so long um, so that was really empowering and having people from so many different countries, it was like 28 countries in Europe, all in the one place fighting for the same thing. Um, that was a highlight as well. No, that sounds amazing. And it sounds like it probably combats the sort of feeling of powerlessness you sometimes have when you're campaigning for an issue like climate crisis that needs such grand action. And often, like, especially for you, I suppose, striking every week from school a lot of the time probably on your own that being in that environment with like similar people must have must have been amazing for you mm, yeah um so obviously like you just said you, you've been involved in so many different initiatives and you've had so many different opportunities um in your journey so far are you hopeful for the future of sort of planet earth um has there been anything that you've seen or experienced that's really made you think okay that there is still hope here we just need to sort of keep doing what we're doing no i'm not hopeful at all um for the state of our future um i'm mainly motivated by fear okay. um there isn't a whole lot of hope um however the hope that i do have comes from the people it's the climate activists that we're working with every day from all over the world you know from china to the philippines to the us to every conceivable place you could think of um you know we've had 14 million people take to the streets from every continent including antarctica and that's real change and that's 
proving what democracy looks like. Mm. Um, but in terms of actual climate action, I mean, there's been none. So there is no reason to be hopeful yet. We haven't, that hasn't been proven. You know, we got 7,000 people to the streets in Belfast. We got a climate emergency declared. But Northern Ireland have done not one single thing to act as if they're in an emergency. They haven't actually done what they declared, um, which is not a very hopeful thing. No, and it, it must be really frustrating, especially if you're quite actively campaigning for action to sort of not see any meaningful action from your local government and indeed from any government around the world, really, to make any meaningful change. So I, I completely see what, where you're coming from with that. One thing that I found really interesting about what you just said is last week we sort of talked about eco-anxiety and how a way of combating that is sort of directing that energy towards activism and towards connecting with people that are like-minded and that are campaigning for the same issues you are and that sounds like something that's definitely applicable to you and something that you've definitely found in your journey is that right yeah brilliant um so i suppose you said you're not hopeful and i can see absolutely why you would say that and that there's been a lack of meaningful initiatives from governments which again i completely agree with um, if you could, what would be the first sort of meaningful change you'd like to see? Um, for the climate crisis to be treated adequately for the severity of the, the crisis that it is. Um, our governments have the capacity for that. We've seen it with virtually the entire world being shut down in a, less than a week for the coronavirus crisis. Um, and that doesn't mean that... Of course, we should treat the coronavirus crisis like a crisis, but that doesn't mean that the climate crisis has gone away. We still need to be working on that. And that is proof that it's possible to completely change the entire way that we work almost instantaneously. And so that needs to happen for the climate crisis because people are dying every single day. Over 200 species of, are going extinct every single day. Um, this isn't something that can be put off for the future. This is something that's affecting people right now. Um, and if people were aware of the science, they wouldn't keep going on as business as usual. Um, you know, it's not that people are evil or, you know, they're, they're selfish. It's that they don't actually know that there's a problem. Yeah, no, definitely. And I completely agree with what you're saying. And the coronavirus has shown that the capacity is there. There is the capacity to make changes um, fairly quickly. Um, it's just when the willingness is there, which arguably I suppose is what you would say is that that is what's lacking at the moment is a willingness to make the necessary changes and to make the difficult choices that are involved. Um, what would be your advice for our listeners out there, you know, for people that want to get involved with activism or campaigning that feel really passionately about the same things that you do? What, what would be your advice to them? Um, to educate yourself and um, the best way to do something is to educate yourself. So read IPCC reports and read other science and get informed on the issue because, I mean, so over 70% of our emissions come from just 100 companies globally. So individual changes like switching off the lights and things realistically don't make a huge difference because even if everyone was to live completely 100% zero waste, it's still less than 30% of global emissions. Um, so this is a 
this is the people in power's responsibility to take action. We need system change, not individual change. And so for people listening as individuals, the best thing you can do is educate yourself, read the science, and then raise awareness of that science and um, get the people in power to act on that science and put pressure on them because politicians and people in government, they do things because they want votes. And so if we show them that the people are going to vote if they give us climate action, then they will give us climate action. No, that's, that's definitely really good advice. Are, are there any organisations or any particular ways that you'd suggest for people to get involved, like any that you've found that were particularly successful or that you particularly enjoyed? Fridays for Future. Definitely. And how can people find out more about Fridays for Future? Well, there's a website and there's also social media. And it's just if you Google Fridays for Future, it'll come up. Um, nationally, there's Fridays for Future in Northern Ireland and Fridays for Future Belfast as well. No, that's brilliant. Um, listen, Anna, thank you very much again for taking the time to come and talk to us. It's it's really inspiring to speak to you, being such a young person, taking this so seriously, and, and honestly putting in so much time and effort like you have um, over the last years or so to kind of really bring this topic to the table to be actively discussed and listened to. So honestly, thank you so much. And, and seriously, well done for everything you've done so far, and then keep it up. Well, thank you for having me. It's been really interesting to talk to. No, definitely. Thank you. So with me today, I've got Anna Kiernan, who's a young climate activism from right here in Northern Ireland. Hi, Anna. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking to us. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, do you want to start by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about how you became involved with climate activism? What was sort of the tipping point that really turned things around to you and kind of made you think, right, I really need to do something now? Well, I'm Anna. I'm an 18-year-old climate and environmental activist from Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I had been involved in activism before um, for various other things like mental health and poverty, but um, the tipping point for me for getting into climate activism specifically was reading the IPCC's 1.5 degree special report. Yeah, definitely. I think for a lot of people that I've spoken to recently, that certainly was a turning point in their minds um, in terms of the whole climate activism and climate crisis becoming really quite an emergency. Um, so... I suppose you're sort of more popular for getting involved with Fridays for Future and starting the Belfast chapter of that global organisation. How did you hear about Fridays for Future and, and how did you kind of go about sort of starting um, your own Fridays for Future essentially right here in Belfast? Well, I had joined some of the Waikani strikes, um, which they mainly do campaigning um, for things such as a climate act or a green recovery, but they also... Um, pre-lockdown we're doing monthly strikes for climate action um, and they were working and they, they were raising awareness um, but I felt like we needed more you know it was starting to become normalized at, at first politicians were shocked like whoa there's these hundreds of kids what do we do um, but because it was becoming like a, a monthly regular thing it wasn't getting that same kind of value so um I thought I would start Fridays for Future because it's weekly striking, it's more direct pressure and it's more, it keeps it more present and more immediate and constant. Um, 
but no one else really wanted to do it every single week because yeah. that is quite a big commitment. So I thought if I start it myself, then people might join after. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but when you started it, you did strike every Friday for about an academic year, didn't you? Well, it still is every Friday. You're still doing it every Friday? Yeah, so it's been 80 weeks now. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And how, I mean, I suppose... I suppose what's so striking about Fridays for Futures is sort of young people like yourself taking that time out of school, which I suppose on some levels is quite unprecedented, especially for such a sustained period of time. And um, how did sort of like your parents react to that? Um, they don't really mind. Um, they're not. They're they're not fussed. Um, so they're quite supportive then. Yeah, that's that's really good. It's really good to see sort of like parents. I know. If I tried to do that, my mom would have sent me right back to school if I'd even tried to pull that. So it's quite nice to see that you've got like a really supportive environment that kind of understands why you're doing this and, and supports you in doing it. Um, so Fridays for Future, I mean, obviously you do it in um, Belfast, but it's obviously a global organisation, isn't it? How, how did you first sort of hear about it? Um, well, I heard about it through joining Strikes by another organisation. Um, of course, and obviously seeing Grada um, on the news. Um, so, yeah, and then in after about six months of doing the weekly ones, I then joined um, Fridays Future Ireland um, and then got involved in the international movement through that. Well, because um, I suppose your journey since sort of initially starting um, those strikes and then kind of progressing and getting more involved with those organizations has actually been quite striking what what's the highlight for you so far obviously it's quite a serious issue that you're campaigning for here but in in all this process what's what's been the highlight for you um it's hard to pinpoint just one yeah i think there are a few moments that i would highlight which would be um the September 20th, 2019 strike, which we got 7,000 people to the streets wow. of Belfast and a climate emergency for Belfast City Council was declared as a result of that strike. So that was incredible um, and an atmosphere that is unique to any other that I don't think we'll ever experience again. Yeah. Um, and another highlight would be going, would be if on more of an international scale, would be going to the EU Parliament to do an action there, which is a unique atmosphere for a whole other reason. Yeah. And finally, doing something physical with activists that we had, we all work together digitally and we all talk on Zoom calls and things. Um, but it's completely different whenever you finally meet the people you've been organising with for so long. Um, so that was really empowering and having people from so many different countries it was like 28 countries in europe all in the one place fighting for the same thing um that was a highlight as well no that sounds amazing and it sounds like it probably combats the sort of feeling of powerlessness you sometimes have when you're campaigning for an issue like climate crisis that needs such grand action and often like especially for you i suppose striking every week from school a lot of the time probably on your own that being in that environment with like similar people must have must have been amazing for you mm, yeah um so 
obviously, like you just said, you, you've been involved in so many different initiatives and you've had so many different opportunities. Um, in your journey so far, are you hopeful for the future of sort of planet Earth? Um, has there been anything that you've seen or experienced that's really made you think, okay, that there is still hope here, we just need to sort of keep doing what we're doing? No, I'm not hopeful at all um, for the state of our future. Um, I'm mainly motivated by fear. Okay. Um, there isn't a whole lot of hope. Um, however, the hope that I do have comes from the people. It's the climate activists that we're working with every day from all over the world, you know, from China to the Philippines to the US to every conceivable place you could think of. Um, you know, we've had 14 million people take to the streets from every continent, including Antarctica, and that's real change, and that's proving what democracy looks like. Um, but in terms of actual climate action, I mean, there's been none. So there is no reason to be hopeful yet. We haven't, that hasn't been proven. You know, we got 7,000 people to the streets in Belfast. We got a climate emergency declared. But Northern Ireland have done not one single thing to act as if they're in an emergency. They haven't actually done what they declared, um, which is not a very hopeful thing. No, and it, it must be really frustrating, especially if you're quite actively campaigning for action to sort of not be any meaningful action from your local government and indeed from any government around the world really to make any meaningful change so i, I completely see what where you're coming from with that one thing that i found really interesting about what you just said is last week we sort of talked about eco-anxiety and how a way of combating that is sort of directing that energy towards activism and towards connecting with people that are like-minded and that are campaigning for the same issues you are and that sounds like something that's definitely applicable to you and something that you've definitely found in your journey is that right yeah brilliant um so i suppose you said you're not hopeful and i can see absolutely why you would say that and that there's been a lack of meaningful initiatives from governments which again i completely agree with um if you could what would be the first sort of meaningful change you'd like to see um, for the climate crisis to be treated adequately for the severity of the, the crisis that it is. Um, our governments have the capacity for that. We've seen it with virtually the entire world being shut down in a, less than a week for the coronavirus crisis. Um, and that doesn't mean that, of course, we should treat the coronavirus crisis like a crisis. But that doesn't mean that the climate crisis has gone away. We still need to be working on that. And that is proof that it's possible to completely change the entire way that we work almost instantaneously. And so that needs to happen for the climate crisis because people are dying every single day. Over 200 species of, are going extinct every single day. Um, this isn't something that can be put off for the future. This is something that's affecting people right now. Um, and if people were aware of the science, they wouldn't keep going on as business as usual. Um, you know, it's not that people are evil or, you know, they're, they're selfish. It's that they don't actually know that there's a problem. Yeah, no, definitely. And I completely agree with what you're saying. And the coronavirus has shown that the capacity is there. There is the capacity to make changes um, fairly quickly. 
um it's just when the willingness is there which arguably i suppose is what you would say is that that is what's lacking at the moment is a willingness to make the necessary changes and to make the difficult choices that are involved um what would be your advice for our listeners out there you know for people that want to get involved with activism or campaigning that feel really passionately about the same things that you do what would be your advice to them um to educate yourself and the best way to do something is to educate yourself so read ipcc reports and read other science and get informed on the issue because I mean, so over 70% of our emissions come from just 100 companies globally. So individual changes like switching off the lights and things realistically don't make a huge difference because even if everyone was to live completely 100% zero waste, it's still less than 30% of global emissions. Um, so this is, a, this is the people in power's responsibility to take action. We need system change, not individual change. And so for people listening, as individuals, the best thing you can do is educate yourself, read the science, and then raise awareness of that science and um, get the people in power to act on that science and put pressure on them because politicians and people in government, they do things because they want votes. And so if we show them that the people are gonna vote, if they give us climate action, then they will give us climate action. No, that's that's definitely really good advice. Are are there any organisations or any particular ways that you'd suggest for people to get involved? Like any that you found that were particularly successful or that you particularly enjoyed? Fridays for Future. Definitely. And how can people find out more about Fridays for Future? Well, there's a website and there's also social media, and it's just if you Google Fridays for Future, it'll come up. Um, nationally, there's Fridays for Future in Northern Ireland and Fridays for Future Belfast as well. No, that's brilliant. Um, listen, Anna, thank you very much again for taking the time to come and talk to us. It's it's really inspiring to speak to you, being such a young person, taking this so seriously, and and honestly putting in so much time and effort like you have, um, over the last years or so to kind of really bring this topic to the table to be actively discussed and listened to. So honestly, thank you so much, and and seriously, well done for everything you've done so far, and then keep it up. Well, thank you for having me. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Thank you. So as usual, Ema Smith is going to bring us this week's good news. So Ema, what have you got for us today? Um, well, the first thing we have today um, is a bit of news on, as we've talked about in the past few weeks, on the fashion industry and materials that are used in it. Um, so this week, what we're um, kind of what's come out is Polythene can now be used um, to create um, to create materials that are both breathable um, and really really good for sportswear, but also recyclable. So they're made um, out of polythene, so it's in polythene bags. Um, polythene is one of the world's most common plastics, and it's found in like plastic bags, groceries, wrappers, etc. Um, but it's not really widely recycled usually. Um, but this is some great news that it could be used um, in the likes of sportswear. No, that's a great way to put those plastic bags to use but isn't the fabric that's going to be produced at the end of it still going to be as damaging to the environment as those plastic bags would have been in the first place yes and no so i guess there is a yes and no to it um the mit researchers who are working on it say the fabric is less damaging to the environment than the likes of wool cotton linen silk nylon and polyester um i guess because a lot of those would um take a lot of water to be created in the first place especially 
cotton um, and things like that, although it's natural. Um, but this can also be washed in cold water as well, unlike some which require to be washed in warm water. Um, so this, again, reduces the environmental footprint. Um, the material is made from fibres from polythene. Um, it's moisture-wicking, repellent, um, good for high-performance sportswear. So I guess it's better than the likes of a polyester that hasn't been recycled or um, is one that kind of creates off more fibres as it gets washed in warm water. No, definitely. And I mean, I suppose the plastic is going to be there anyways, so we may as well put it to some good use. Um, while we're on the topic of soft single-use plastics, um, I believe there was another recent development around that um, by Tesco. Tesco have indeed, um, they're kind of putting in a system now. Um, they're going to roll it out over the next few weeks where they are taking um, in their stores, they're going to take in um, kind of a recycling plastic scheme for soft plastics. Um, so as we know, most soft plastics end up in landfill because um, it's not widely recycled or widely recyclable. Um, so a trial has been done in, I think, 10 Tesco stores so far, um, and the response was really good. Um, people bringing in their wrappings, such as fruit bags, bread bags, um, packaging crisp packets, um, even pet food pouches. Um, so some of these, especially the likes of crisp and snack packets, are almost impossible to recycle widely. It's 90 3%, I think, almost of crisp pack has been impossible to recycle. Um, but the new scheme um, through Tesco and hopefully various campaigns such as this um, will change this. No, I, I, that's really, really good because I hate the fact that I do so much separating for recycling, but there's always that pesky single-use plastic that you can never put in the recycling bin and it just ends up going into your general waste and it really annoys me. That is really impressive, though, but are Tesco now looking to roll that out further into more shops? They are indeed. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be coming to Northern Ireland yet, but there is 117 stores, I think, in England and Wales so far, um, which is a start. Um, it's not brilliant. I would like to be able to go into my own local Tesco and do it, because um, as you said, especially vegetables, packaged broccoli in your plastic packaging. Um, but hopefully soon that will be a thing um, in all Tesco's. I think Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Morrison's have similar services for different types of plastics and soft plastics as well. And I think the co-op as well, just num oh, small numbers, sorry. Um, but hopefully this initiative will be successful for Tesco um, and spread throughout the UK and Ireland further afield. No, definitely fingers crossed. How about locally? Have there been any good news re worth reporting? Yes, so there's been a big one this week. Um, uh, there has come through that Belfast City Council have received, I think it's almost £290,000 um, in funding for the Woodlands Trust or from the Woodlands Trust to help with their initiative One Million Trees. Um, so this is an initiative where by 2035, um, Belfast City Council um, planned to plant one million trees uh, with volunteers and windowed management. Um, so this is a brilliant project and it will contribute to the Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs Forests for a Future initiative. Um, both of these help to support climate adaption and will of course help emissions management and create green spaces, which we love, and also reduce flooding seemingly. Um, so residents, uh, business, schools, community groups will all be involved to plant trees. Um, so that's a brilliant amount of funding coming in for that. No, definitely. And massive, massive thumbs up for more green space in Belfast. It can, you can never have too much green space. And um, so how did the funding for this initiative come about? 
So the funding for this initiative is from the Emergency Tree Fund, which is a fund um, that has been set up and aims to make up for the current lack of investment um, that there is um, around kind of green stuff, especially as COVID, a lot of local authorities are quite cash strapped. Um, so it aims to help local authorities break through barriers and get more trees and woods into the ground. And it'll give um, local communities greener spaces, as we've said, um, they definitely want and need, but also as a lot of people will still want to be looking towards um, achieving their climate goals that they've set out. Um, so this is brilliant for it because um, a lot of, as we've said, um, it's been a lot of funding lacking in that at the minute, just in the past year because of COVID and everything. So as it's emergency tree fund, this is a brilliant thing for um, for the Belfast City Council. Um, so I think there's a couple of other cities as well across the UK. I think 11 in total or 11 authorities, including Glasgow, Sheffield, Devon, Wolverhampton, um, who will all be receiving funding um, of the similar amounts for planting trees and initiatives like this, which is absolutely amazing. No, it's absolutely amazing and it's great to see that there's specific funding for a specific purpose and we know it's going to be used for that purpose and it's going to involve communities and everything and then you know in a few years time we're going to have luscious green trees all around us it's going to be brilliant and um, so what's your final piece of good news for today so the final piece of good news is one that i thought was kind of fun it's kind of animal based again but it's actually a really interesting one Love animals. um we do indeed. <laughs> um, so this one mixes space with animals, basically. So um, the Hubble telescope, um, which is one of NASA's big kind of projects, um, is now being used to spot whale sharks. So um, whale sharks are kind of endangered at the minute, but the Hubble telescope has discovered um, or is able, they're able to use an algorithm now that is linked with the Hubble telescope to um, ensure or to get sightings of whales and identify the whale sharks as well. Um, so they've created um, a user-friendly database where anyone can upload photos or images of whale sharks they see, um, which is a brilliant thing um, for identifying the patterns and the migration and just the whales themselves or whale sharks, sorry, in general. No, that's brilliant. So I guess it's really important to monitor the whale sharks patterns seen as they're endangered. Is that, is that the main driver behind this initiative? I think it is. Um, a lot is not known about the whale shark. Um, they're kind of elusive creatures, um, but they're very big and they're very gentle. Um, so because a lot, uh, um, lot is not known and they are endangered, um, it is quite hard to create conservation projects to help protect them in the wild. But this new technology will allow any in the world to contribute to it. Um, so I think there's a big bank where you can put in um, official sightings of the whales and they'll be identified using the algorithm. So each behind the fin of each whale and each or whale shark, sorry, um, they're all very unique. So the Hubble telescope is very um, in detail and it's in depth. So they'll be able to, with algorithm, kind of identify each whale shark as they go along. Um, so this means that all over the world, we'll be able to get um, a better, much better idea of where the big creatures kind of um, travel, breed, um, where they migrate to, what they eat and where they stay. Um, yeah, because being like, even though it is one of the biggest um, creatures in the ocean, um, when they're one of the least understood. Um, so I think the library at the minute that has been set up contains about 67,000 sightings of whale sharks. And I think there are only about 12,000 in the world at the moment, um, which isn't a big amount when you think about how big the ocean is. Um, so they are quite endangered and they're critically endangered, um, between endangered and critically endangered on the ice 
IUCN red list. Um, so the fact that there is this now this giant database and we can study their migrating patterns and their habitats, um, we can now find ways as to how they can be preserved and how best to protect them, which is absolutely amazing. And it's a really positive news story. That is absolutely amazing and it is really positive. And it's great to see like how sort of creative that is, you know, using the Hubble telescope, which I suppose you would never have thought pointing out of space and into, you know, Earth itself to kind of put it to a completely different use. I love it. It's brilliant. And um, so I guess that's all we've got for you this week. We really hope you've enjoyed the good news for this week. Um, as always, thank you to our guests this week and to Steph for editing this episode and to you for listening. So join us next week for more Eco News. Bye.